Last week, we took a look at uh, some of the basic elements of the ministry of Jesus Christ, his earthly ministry. We saw two of the three. Today, we go on to see the third element. Join us, Graceful Truth, with Pastor Steve Converse is next. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth. We welcome you to our broadcast and would invite you to join us today as we focus our thoughts on our third element, our third basic element of the ministry, earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, that of healing. Somewhat controversial at times, but I think if you'll join us today, you'll see the context within which we're talking about and why it's important to understand why Jesus healed physically because there is a spiritual element attached to it all. Here now with today's broadcast in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Pastor Steve Converse with this edition of Graceful Truth. Well, there's a third element of his ministry. In Matthew 4, 23, at the end there it says, and healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went out throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. See, we have to stop and we have to realize that some people are sick and unhealthy because they have foolish habits. They don't take care of the temple that God entrusted to them. Others suffer as a direct result, as a consequence of their sin. Sickness happens to a variety of people for a variety of reasons. God even sometimes uses physical affliction to discipline his people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says many of the Corinthian Christians were weak and they were sick and even had died because they basically abused the Lord's Supper. Remember Ananias and Sapphira lost their lives for lying to the Holy Spirit. And yet scripture makes it clear that all suffering and disease are not caused by sin. See, sometimes we fall into that default. When you find out somebody's sick, you know, immediately we think, oh, I wonder what they're doing in their spare time. There's something wrong with them. God made them sick. Well, that may not be the case. Suffering and disease are not all caused by sin, ignorance, errors in judgment, or God's discipline. Job, you think about Job, he suffered greatly. That he was blameless, the Bible says. He was upright, he feared God, and he turned away from evil. So when Jesus' disciples assumed that a man who was born blind was, was being punished, remember that text in John 9, either by his own sin or by the, his parents' sin, Jesus corrected them. He says, it's neither by this man's sin nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. When's the last time you heard that at a faith healer's message? When's the last time you heard that at one of these rallies they do on TV? The people come forward to an individual and they're healed supernaturally, supposedly. You don't hear that. I think some people are sick because God wants them to be sick. He has a purpose. He wants to carry that purpose out. That his glory, that the works of God might be displayed in their life. That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. But you know what? We have folks even in our own congregation that can testify to that. There's people that are in our own congregation that, that were sick even maybe to the point of death. And God spared them. And you ask them, would you go back and remove that from your life? And they'd say, no way. I'd do it all over again. Because God did a work in my heart. See, Jesus' healing ministry was a divine verification that he was who he said he was. 
His words should have been sufficient, obviously, that he was the Messiah because he was God. But they weren't. They were, for those who truly believe, think about the disciples. We just talked about them a couple weeks ago, how they left everything to follow Jesus. Did Jesus perform any miracle at that point? No. Simply his word was good enough for them. Many heard him and believed in him who had no need of healing for themselves or for any family or friends. It's possible that many who heard and believed in Christ never even saw him perform a miracle at all, just as many believed John the Baptist's message, although John performed no signs at all. Yet Jesus' healing ministry was this powerful addition to the evidence of his teaching and preaching. You have his teaching and preaching, which totally blew people away, and now you add in the element of his healing ministry. Incredible. And these, these miracles that he did, it was always to glorify his Father, to verify who he said he was. It says there that Jesus healed every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. It goes on and it kind of lists them out there for us. In that day, Syria was a Roman province that basically took in all of Palestine, which included Galilee. And here he may just be talking about the northern part near Damascus, but in any event, from a wide surrounding area, people brought these folks, these sick people, to Jesus in hope that he would heal them. Now you stop and think back then, plagues were rampant, all sorts of things went, went wrong back then medically. They didn't have the, the care that we have today. It's strange back then that the, the news of a healer could cure any affliction. And when people heard that, man, it spread like wildfire. It says that various diseases and pains, and he mentions three of them there, basically. The diseases kind of refers to maladies different kinds of diseases. Uh, the pains refer to the symptoms of those diseases. The first one that people suffered were from being demon-possessed. It says they're those who were demon-possessed, those who had afflictions that were caused by demons. It's clear from the New Testament that a lot of physical and mental afflictions are caused directly by Satan through the operation of his demons. You can see that throughout Scripture. And the ability to cast out demons is often referred to as the gift of, of miracles, literally powers in, in 1 Corinthians 12.10. The divine power given specifically to combat the demonic powers of darkness. There are people that suffered from that. There's people that suffer from that today. The second group were epileptics. The original language refers to someone as, this is just what it means, lunatic. Someone who is moonstruck, it says. And a lot of times, many cultures, the mentally ill people, those who have convulsions and seizures, they, they were thought to have some kind of, be under some spell from the moon. That's just what they thought. But Jesus was able to heal those folks. The third group were the paralytics, those who were basically a wide range of crippling effects on different people. And it really encompasses a broad area of man's afflictions. It encompasses everything, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. And Jesus was able to deal with it all. He was able to overcome whatever evil afflicted those who came to him. In Isaiah 29, it says, On that day the deaf shall hear, the eyes of the blind shall see, the afflicted shall also increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Well, who is that? That's Jesus Christ. They brought to him all who were ill, and it says he healed them. These miracles basically accomplish four things. First of all, they proved that he was divine. Because no human being could do such things. John 14, 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Jesus told Philip, Otherwise believe on account of the works themselves. You can believe my words or you can believe my works. Either way, 
It's something that's happening here that's divine. Secondly, these, these wondrous healings showed that God is compassionate toward those who suffer. See, in the, in the day in the mind, that wasn't the way it was. God was kind of, you know, looked as a harsh person, not somebody who would have pity on somebody who was crippled. The miracles showed that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah because the Old Testament predicted that Messiah would perform miracles. When John the Baptist was in prison and began to have doubts about Jesus' messiahship, Jesus told John's disciples, go and report to John what? What you hear and see. Well, what is that, John? What are, we, or what are we supposed to tell John? That the blind receive sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Matthew 11, 4-5. He wanted to encourage his brother John, the Baptist, who was in prison. That, hey, I am the real deal. I am who I said I was. I am the Messiah. And here's why. Miracles also proved that the coming kingdom was a reality. That it wasn't some figment of somebody's imagination. These wonders and signs kind of were a foretaste of this marvelous place that God had in store. Matthew 9 says, And Jesus was going about in all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of sickness. And a short while later, Jesus committed that same message to his disciples and the same powers to his disciples. In Matthew 10, he says, As you go preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. And after that, he pointed out the disbelieving Pharisees. Those who were pointing to Jesus and saying, Oh, I think he's doing this you know, by some kind of a satanic work. He says, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So I can only do this by the Spirit of God. I am who I am. I am the Son of God. I'm Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And over and over again, we see this in Scripture. And it was to demonstrate His absolute power and authority. Jesus healed everyone who came to Him during His earthly ministry. And He did it without exception, without limit. And I'm here to tell you today that He still has the power to heal today. He really does with absoluteness and completeness, as he sovereignly chooses to do so. But he does not promise to heal everyone who asks him. That's not in Scripture anywhere. Not even to those who are his children. That's why sometimes it's kind of tough. You go into a hospital room and dealing with somebody who's sick, and they ask you to pray for healing. My first thing that pops in my head is, is it God's will for this man to be healed? Because I don't, I don't want to pray something that's in contrary to God's will. And you say, well, why wouldn't it be? For the very purpose we just talked about. Sometimes it's not in God's will for someone to be healed. Sometimes it's within God's will for that person to go home to glory. Sometimes it's within God's will for that person to, to be brought to a point of despair that they trust in Christ. We don't know what the purpose of God is in all this. But just because somebody's sick doesn't mean that we just have to demand God to heal them. Because that may not be His will. But then again, it may. So how do you pray? I always pray, God, let your sovereign will be done. If it's your will for this individual to get up and walk out of this hospital right now, do it. If it's not, give him the grace to deal with the suffering. But he always healed. Jesus healed without exception and without limit. But he doesn't promise to heal everyone today. See, the miracles he performed while he was on earth were different than any miracles ever, <laughs> even today. And you may be of a theological bent that doesn't believe that, but I, I really believe that, that the miracles that Jesus and the, the disciples performed were for that day. Can God perform miracles today? Sure he can. But let me point out six features of this divine healing that Jesus had that have never been duplicated since the New Testament time. First of all, Jesus healed directly. 
He healed directly with a word or a touch. He healed without prayer. And sometimes even without being near the afflicted person, he just spoke and it was done. But he healed them directly. Secondly, Jesus healed instantaneously. There was no waiting of restoration for something to happen later. It wasn't like come back next week, you know, to my rally next week. I'll be here in the big tent and, you know, see, and then you can stand up and testify how God. No, it was instantaneous. Everyone that Jesus healed was instantaneous and it was complete. That's the third thing. He healed completely, never partially. You know, if someone went to, to Jesus with a, a, a sore foot and they didn't mention the sore hand, well, he healed that too. They were whole. They were complete. Fourthly, he healed everyone who came to him. You don't see that today. I've seen people, I've heard people, I've read testimony, testimony, testimony. You know, people go to these rally things. Benny Hinn is one individual that just does this kind of carnival atmosphere. But I've heard people that go to Benny Hinn's things. They go there in a wheelchair and they leave in a wheelchair. And they're disillusioned. They're even questioning their faith. Why? Because they think that somehow this individual has some kind of supernatural power to do something that really he has no power to do anything. Jesus wasn't that way. He healed everyone who came to him. Everyone who was brought to him. Everyone for whom healing was asked by another. He healed without discrimination as to the person or to the affliction. It didn't matter. Jesus just healed it. He also healed both organic and congenital problems. No matter how severe they were or how long-standing they were. It didn't matter. He just spoke the word and it was done. The last interesting thing about Jesus' healing ministry was what, that he brought people back to life. <laughs> he raised people from the dead. He healed even after disease had run its full course and taken the life of its victim. See, wouldn't you think that common logic would say if that kind of ministry was going on today, if somebody purported to have that kind of ministry and one of your loved ones died, what would you do? I would take them to the, the tent. Hey, I got another one for you. Raise this one up. That's what I would do. If you were diagnosed with a severe disease, I mean, why go to the doctors? Why would you go to a doctor? If, if there's a faith healer that can just zap you with his hand, then you're healed. That's what you would do. See, the sad thing is, is people are saying they have that power. They're saying that God gives them that power. But I really believe they're, they're false. Because 201, you can... Look at their bank account. You can look at their mansions they have all over the place. You can look at their cars and their boats. And what it boils down to, what you put in the little bucket. Because they're, they're greedy people. They're in love with money. And they're willing to sacrifice the cause of Christ on the altar of what they want. The success that they want. I don't see many faith healers out there today that are poor like Jesus was poor. They never roof over his head. It's just quietly going out, ministering, healing people. I don't see that. See, those six features that we just talked about characterize the healing ministry of Jesus and his apostles. At the beginning of the book of Acts, we're told that many miracles and signs happened that the, and the apostles performed them. We see that. We saw that when we went through the book of Acts. Yet at the end of the book, the accounts of miracles virtually cease. They cease. And you can say the same for the epistles. Even early in Paul's Ministry. He performed many miracles of healing. Paul himself did. But years later, when Timothy said, ah, you know, I got this stomach flu kind of thing going on, did Paul just simply say, hey, you're healed? No. 
What did he say? Hey, you know, you want to take some wine for that. That'll help you out. <laughs> Can't help you beyond that. Sorry. At the end of his next letter to Timothy, the apostle reports that Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. He left somebody sick, something Jesus never did. When someone met Jesus and they requested healing, it was done. Well, Paul left someone sick, apparently beyond the power of Paul to help at that point. And yet, at one time, he was able to. See, there's no scriptural evidence, beloved, by the end of the apostolic age that miracles of any sort were still being performed. You can disagree, that's fine. But once Israel had turned her back on the Messiah, her divine king, the authenticating signs of the kingdom, there was no more purpose to them. That's why they were given, to authenticate who Christ was. And all of a sudden, you see them fade, and they disappear altogether. The great multitudes followed him, it says there. For no doubt, they came for reasons besides healing for themselves and others. A lot of them came to hear him teach, to hear him preach. Some came out of curiosity. But you know what? It's not that God doesn't heal today. He does. He still has the power. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, forever. That's right. But he doesn't necessarily work in the same way. And we have to stop, and we have to realize, how does this affect us? How do these three things, this teaching and preaching and healing ministry, what, what does that leave for us? Last week, Ken read a little story about a little club that kind of was on the shoreline to, to warn the, the ships of the, save the, the, uh, the sailors that, after their boat wrecked, and the little kind of thing turned into a club, and pretty soon they weren't even allowing the sick and the, the lame to come in anymore. They, it was too exclusive. You know, we need to get back to the basics of ministry, teaching, preaching, healing people. Maybe not in a divine way, but in a way that only God can. Healing of the heart. See, three things that make up our mission in life is, first of all, we need to be able to change lives. Our mission is to change lives. That's what Jesus said. He said, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of fish? No, fishers of men. What did he mean? You're going to change some people's lives. Instead of doing something temporary with your life, he was telling those fishermen, do something eternal. Do something that has an eternal impact. I like this illustration. When Steve Jobs, co-founder of Apple Computer, offered the position of Apple CEO to Ch uh, Pepsi chairman John Scully, John Scully said, I'm not interested. I don't, I don't want any part of it. He said he was satisfied with his work at Pepsi. Jobs looked at Scully in the eye and he said this, are you telling me that you would rather sell sugared water for the rest of your life when you could lead a company that would change the world? See, Scully made the decision to leave Pepsi, and he went to work for Apple Computer because he probably never heard it put in that perspective before. See, I don't want us just to be out there satisfied to sell somebody sugared water. We have to realize that we have a life-giving message of the gospel that actually changes lives, and we need to share it. We need to become fishers of men. Secondly, our mission is to heal the hurting. Jesus said that he went out throughout all Galilee to heal every disease, every sickness. And they brought people to him. And like I said, there's a healing that happens in the heart when you share the gospel with someone. If you're here today and you're saved, you understand what that is. If you're not, I'll tell you, the Bible says that your heart is sick. <laughs> your heart is black. Your heart is sinful. It's deceitful. It needs healing, and only God can provide that. Thirdly, our mission is to teach the Word of God, not just a pastor, not just the elders. Every Christian is called upon to teach and preach the Word of God. The Bible says that we're, we're commended to go into all the world. 
Okay? And we have to begin to realize that the Word of God is what? It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Don't go out there and teach and preach your own message. Go out there and teach and preach the Word of God. See, sometimes the church doesn't take seriously its commitment to the Word of God. Sometimes we think it's just something that we memorize or whatever. Believe me, there's power in the Word of God. If you're going to share something with someone, I mean, say someone was going to die within an hour and you had one thing to share with them, what would it be? I trust, as a Christian, it would be the Word of God, that you would open up the Word of God and begin to read it and, and teach it to them. Because it has the ability to save their soul. We need to remember those things. We need to stop and we need to say, you know what, we don't want to become just a, a life-saving station that turned into a kind of a country social club. But we want to allow ourselves to be used by God to reach out into this community that he's placed us in and to minister on his behalf to all those who have yet to hear the gospel message. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that this would not fall on just deaf ears. Lord, that we would take seriously our commitment as believers. Lord, we're not here by accident today. You've, you've, you, you knew each one of us was going to be here, and you've arranged it to be so because you're a sovereign God. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this next week, we'll ask ourselves, are we fulfilling the ministries that Christ has called us to? And I, and I pray that we wouldn't fall under the delusion that it happens in these four walls. Very little ministry really should happen within these four walls. It should happen out there where the ministry needs to take place. We gather here on Sunday to equip ourselves, to build ourselves up, to focus our hearts and our minds on you. And Lord, we ask that you would minister to us and through us this next week, Lord, in the workplace. Each one of us will go somewhere where probably no one else will go this week. A certain building, a certain office, a certain family, a certain coffee shop. And Lord, there's people there who are lost who need to hear the gospel of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be creative in our approach, that we would be passionate about the message of Christ. If there's someone here today who's yet to hear, yet to commit their lives to Christ, I, I, I want them to understand it's as simply as crying out to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, reveal yourself to me in a way that you've never done before. Show me my need for you. Help me to repent my sin, to turn away from my sin and turn to you, to trust you fully for my salvation. That's a prayer God will answer. He'll make it happen even today. You just yield your heart to him to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The three basic elements of the ministry of Jesus Christ here on earth, and we trust and pray that with a look at these three elements, you come away with a clearer understanding of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's immense love for us. You have been listening to Graceful Truth, the weekly radio program originating from the pulpit teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church, located here in Redwood City. And it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. In fact, we have a special opportunity for you women to join us, and Pastor Steve Converse will be here in just a moment to tell you all about it. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, please give us a call. You can reach us at 
650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. You can also visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. If you would rather write to us, here's our address, 2225 Euclid, Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. Your letters, phone calls, emails, they mean a great deal to us. Even more so, uh, join us for worship. Sunday services, again, are at 10 a.m., and details are on our website at gracefultruth.org. If you're not involved in a fellowship at this time, please consider this our official invitation. And now, our teacher and pastor once again. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. We once again want to thank you for listening to the Graceful Truth radio program each weekend. And it would be a wonderful encouragement to us to hear from you about how this program has been a blessing to your hearts. Well, thank you, Steve. And again, friend, we would love to hear from you. Again, the ways you can contact us, we have a couple three. First, our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, 650-366-9923. As always, you're welcome to write to us at Graceful Truth, 2225. Euclid Avenue. That's here in Redwood City. And our zip code is 94061. Of course, everything that Pastor Steve mentioned a moment ago can be found on our website, gracefultruth.org. Again, you can get to us at gracefultruth.org. And when you stop by our website, drop us an email. Let us know you paid us a visit. Questions, comments, prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you. So take a moment and write when you stop by gracefultruth.org. Or simply call us at 650-366-9923. Our thanks to you for joining us today. And until next week at this same time, God bless. God bless.